This is Dean Mathis, the Director of Capital Ministries, Michigan. I have entitled today's Bible study, Anxiety. Anxiety is a prominent feature of modern life. Those who study such things claim that there are some 40 million adults over the age of 18 in the United States who suffer from some kind of anxiety disorder. Some famous people from history suffered from several types of anxiety disorder. One was Abraham Lincoln. Now, Lincoln, of course, had many stresses in the course of his life, which was common in 19th century life anyway. He lost a number of people that he loved, his mother, his first wife, whom he loved dearly. He was married to a not always easy woman to live with. They lost 10 of their 12 children. Plus, he tried to shepherd the United States through one of the most difficult and horrific periods of its history, the Civil War, with its loss and its carnage. And Lincoln suffered a lot from his political opponents, even from many of people inside his own party. He did not have an easy life. Emily Dickinson, the beloved author of the 19th century, was extremely reclusive, probably had agoraphobia. She in her later years, wouldn't really meet with people, friendships that she had and relationships that she had. She mostly maintained through writing letters, correspondence. The famous artist Vincent van Gogh, I know that's not the proper way to say it, Vincent van Gogh, if you speak the Dutch language, was obviously bipolar. He had epilepsy. He suffered from alcoholism, probably in an attempt to self-medicate his depressive states. And he drank a horrific alcohol, absinthe, which will fry your wires really big time. And that no doubt contributed to the worsening of his mental anguish. He had a younger brother that had committed suicide. He had a sister who was schizophrenic. And in his uh, 30s, he took his own life. He's most famous for a self-portrait that he did where he had cut off his own ear. So Van Gogh suffered from a number of things. Van Gogh also suffered from some spiritual depression in that he had grown up in an extremely conservative Protestant family, and one of his brothers had been an evangelist. He had grown up with some tremendously high spiritual expectations, but his own personal anguish had driven him away from his spiritual moorings in his life, and he never really sought the comfort and solitude that uh, faith could have given him. In more recent times, famous people like Kim Basinger, Barbara Streisand, Brian Wilson, the gifted composer of the Beach Boys, suffered from tremendous mental issues and anxiety disorder. Whoopi Goldberg, and of course, Robin Williams, the comedian who uh, took his own life tragically. The Williams family actually lived here in Michigan for a while. His father was an executive in the Ford Motor Company Lincoln Mercury Division. And 1963, the family had moved to Detroit, and Robin spent those formative years. Uh, his family lived on a 20-acre estate with a 40-room home in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. Went to a private school. Later attended Juilliard Dramatic School. Was a close friend of Christopher Reeves. Remained friends throughout their life. But Robin was tormented by a number of mental issues, and it finally uh, caught up with him in the end. Keith Ledger, who was a young man, an actor, most famous for the last role that he played, where he played the Joker in one of the Batman movies. It was a really dark role, and Keith Ledger was a method actor, which meant that when he got into a role, he stayed in it, even when he wasn't filming. 
Jack Nicholson tried to warn him about that role. Jack Nicholson had played the Joker earlier in a Batman movie, and he knew that Keith Ledger had a problem with uh, emotional issues sometimes, and he, he just feared for the young man's life that plunging into that kind of a role with the intensity that he applied to his craft would really be difficult for him, and it turned out to be the case. Winston Churchill, they said, uh, he suffered from dyslexia as one of his issues and plus other stresses that he had on his life. So it is a disorder that is around. It is a problem. Anxiety is treated in many different ways. Nearly everybody that go to a website to read something about it talks about the different things that can be done, but it generally all boils down to if you're having these symptoms of anxiety, feeling nervous, restless, or tense, having a sense of impending danger, panic, or doom, having an increased heart rate, having hyperventilation, other physical symptoms, feeling weak or tired, having trouble sleeping, having tremendous difficulty controlling worry, having the urge to avoid things that trigger anxiety, on and on it goes. The basic set of advice that's given is, first and foremost, you need to talk to somebody. You need to have a conversation with a mental health professional or a physician or somebody, but at least start talking to somebody who might can direct you in a path of finding some help. Some anxiety issues do have physical causes and they need to be treated. Others are emotionally related and anxiety is a state of mind. It is a habit in many, many ways. And so it all starts with somebody talking to somebody. And in the scripture, the somebody that we are encouraged to talk to is God himself. After all, God created us. And the Bible has an awful lot to say about dealing with anxiety. How do we approach this particular part of our lives and how do we deal with it? The text I've chosen as the springboard for our Bible study is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, and it reads this way. Casting all your anxiety on him, that is on God, because he cares for you. The larger context of that in verses 6 through 8 reads this way. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But I want us to stay focused on the central verse, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, in the book of 1 Peter, Peter is encouraging Jewish Christians of the first century prior to 70 AD in their walk and in their faith. They have a double whammy in their lives. Number one, they are rejected by their Jewish brethren who do not accept the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. And so they suffered some ostracization and rejection and even sometimes outright persecution from their fellow Jewish community. They also suffered persecution, as did other Christians, from the Gentile community. And so all Christians had that in common in the first century. As Christianity was being launched, as the good news was being proclaimed, the reaction to it wasn't always positive. There were many who kicked back, many who were practitioners of the paganism around them. Many of them didn't want to lose their job, but uh, they didn't want the encroachment of this. Plus, there is what Peter referred to, the very devil himself, 
who doesn't want us to have the grace of God, doesn't want us to know the grace of God, because the devil hates us. He is our adversary. He's out to get us. He is out like a lion to devour us. And the Bible makes that clear from the beginning to the end that the devil is not our friend and would lure us into choices that would lead to our destruction. As a result of this, this causes stress in our lives, and that often leads to anxiety or worry. Peter here is reminding us that as believers, we have a resource, and that resource is God himself. We are not to go through the stresses of life and worry about things and deal with them on our own. And Peter said, the one thing we must do when we have worry and doubts and fears and anxieties is that we need to cast our anxiety on God. That means literally throw it on him, throw it in his lap, so to speak. Why? Because he cares for us. Well, you say, well, how do we know he cares? Well, first of all, he cared enough to redeem us from our sins by sending Jesus Christ to live the perfect life we cannot live, to die on the cross for our sins, thus removing any eternal penalty and consequence from our bad choices, from our sins, and to give us his spirit to dwell within us. And so our biggest problem, which is what will happen to us after we die, is immediately solved because God cared. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to save us from our sins and from the consequences of our sins and then to give us himself in the form of the Holy Spirit that comes when we believe in him. This admonition about how to deal with anxiety is also picked up by the Apostle Paul. And in the book of Philippians, Paul says it this way, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So this gives us some more specific information about how we cast our anxieties on God. And here's what he said, be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. And I'll look at some different translations about how do you parse the meaning of that. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Some other translations of that verse read this way. Fret not about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Now, prayer is when I talk to God about my needs and concerns. Supplication is when I pray on behalf of someone else. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we're told we're always to be thankful to God for his providence in our lives. We're to be a thankful people. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The Amplified Translation translates it this way. Do not be anxious or worried about anything. Now, that's, you know, you can't not do a negative in a way. How do you not do that? How, how do we not be anxious or worried about anything? But in everything, in every circumstance and situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, continue to make your specific requests known to God. So you get specific about it. You talk to God literally about everything, particularly about everything that's bugging you. We need to talk to God about the things that we don't have the answers to. And we need to talk to God about the things we think we have the answers to. In other words, we need to be pretty inclusive in our conversation with God because he cares. He's the one friend we've got in the universe 
who really does care, who really cares about us totally. You know, he's not absorbed in what he can get out of us because there's nothing he can get out of us. He wants to give things to us. Another translation says, do not fret. That's a a word I love. Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. But in every circumstance and in everything by prayer and petition, and that means definite requests with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God. Not only your needs, but your wants. Make them known to God. Don't edit your prayers. Let God hear what's on your heart, what's on your mind, what's bothering you. The... uh, Holman Christian Study Bible translates it this way. Don't worry about everything, but pray and ask God for everything you need. Always giving thanks for what you have. So again and again, different kinds of translations come at these verses with the same kind of concept, being specific and bringing it to God. One of my favorite translations of this verse is from the Living Bible. And it's translated this way. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs, but don't forget to thank him for his answers. So once again, this joyful, open, conversational prayer life with God. When the worry crops up, pray about it. Don't carry it around. Don't mull over it. Don't sleep on it or anything like that. Pray about it. Tell God what's going on inside your head what you're worried about, what your problems are. And then Peter says, by faith, just cast them onto him. Give them to him. Another translation says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. I love that. Let petitions, that is requests, and praises shape your worries into prayer. Letting God know your concerns before you know it A sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle on you. The older translations translate it, peace that passes understanding. The peace that passes understanding will come and settle on you. As you're talking to God, before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for you, for good, will come and settle on you. It doesn't mean you get an immediate answer. It doesn't mean that everything is answered with a definitive miracle. It doesn't mean that everything even gets answered in this lifetime, but the peace of God, who is God himself, will come to us. He promises us the peace that passes understanding. It's wonderful what happens when God displaces worry at the center of your life. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, told them not to worry about what they would eat, what they would drink, and all that, because God loves them. God cares for the sparrows. He's surely going to care for them. God knows everything that happens on this world. And the one thing that is completely a point of his concern is what happens to you. Now, these men who have given us this advice under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit did not live an easy life. What they're telling us in these verses about casting our cares upon God, about praying about everything, was not some devotional thought meant to warm our hearts. It was their very life and breath. Both Peter and Paul suffered in their adult life because of their witness for Jesus Christ. Both men underwent tortures and beatings in their attempt of people to shut them up, to keep them from testifying of what they had seen, the resurrection of Jesus. But they wouldn't do it. And they also taught what Jesus 
had taught them to teach others. They also were disciple makers and missionaries. Paul was beheaded because he was a Roman citizen. He could not be executed otherwise. Peter, as tradition has it, was crucified. He requested that he wasn't worthy to die the same way his Lord did, and therefore was crucified upside down. So both of these men paid with their lives, as did all the other apostles, all of the men who had walked with Jesus, who had seen him. Now, of course, Judas was the exception to that. He never did believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He betrayed Jesus, and he committed suicide. The only apostle, and he suffered greatly also for his faith, the only apostle who did not die a martyr's death, he was not executed for his faith, was the apostle John, who died in his sleep. But he, along with all the others, many times during his life, was the recipient of many abuses and torture and attempts to get him to recant his testimony, and he would not do it. That is one of the proofs that Chuck Colson gives in his book about his own conversion. He said, men will sometimes die for a lie because they think it's true, but nobody will die for a lie if they know it's not true. And all of these guys knew what they had seen. All of these men had seen the resurrection of Jesus. Paul, of course, was later on the road to Damascus. But all these men had a living experience with Christ that had seen him risen from the dead. And they never recounted, not one. And Colson, of course, who was uh, tried and convicted in the Watergate scandal, said, our conspiracy didn't hold together for 24 hours. There is no way that men would lie about what they had seen and give their lives for it over the full extent of their adult lives like the apostles did. No, it had to be true. They died because they sealed their witness by believing that it was true. So these are the kind of men that are coming to us, not from some Pollyanna version of anything, but from real reality of living out a life of great courage by telling us how to deal with anxiety. And that is by casting our anxiety on him. And the way we do that is that we are anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares what you're going through. He cares what you're facing. He cares what you're concerned about. He cares what you're worried about. He cares about your kids. He cares about your health. He cares about everything that is a burden you bear. He cares about all of it. He cares for you. Therefore, cast all of your cares, all of your anxieties on him. May God richly bless you.